0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here as usual to answer questions about the practice of the Buddhist teaching, focused on mindfulness meditation in the tradition of the Mahasi Sayadaw and Ajahn Tong Mangalo. As we outline in our booklet, so first step if you're interested in what we do is to read that booklet, learn about our meditation technique, and when and if you have questions about putting that into practice in your life or questions about issues you might have in your meditation practice, well this is the time to ask them in a public forum. Of course, we have our courses. The best way to ask questions is to do one of our courses, do the at-home course. And then every week you'll have a chance to ask questions one-on-one. And of course, we have our intensive courses at our center where you'll have a chance to talk every day and ask questions every day one-on-one. This is more general for old students, new students, uh, people in our community who have questions as they come up. So this is the time for questions. If you have questions, just post them in the chat at any time. We'll spend the first 15 minutes in silent meditation and uh, collecting the questions as they're asked. And I will be back at 15 minutes after the hour to
1: begin answering.
0: All right, we're back. So from here on, we'll begin to answer questions. If you have questions, you can continue to post them in the chat. We'd ask that the chat be limited to questions only from here on.
1: Thank you, Bhante.
2: We do have questions. How do I stop disliking? I have a strong anxiety disorder. And whenever the anxiety comes up, I dislike and suppress it.
0: Well, you have the right idea about the anxiety, but you have to apply the same idea to the disliking. So instead of trying to stop uh, the or dislike the anxiety, instead of trying to dislike the disliking or trying to stop the disliking, which involves aversion towards it, uh, you have to take the disliking just as you would the anxiety. Um, su- suppress it isn't something that you have to worry about. It's not actually uh, accurate. It it feels like suppression, but what you're describing as suppression is probably something physical, like a tension in the in the body or something. Anxiety actually is pretty quick to disappear uh, on its own. What you have to do is just note anxious, anxious, and if you dislike it, you have to you have to learn the most important principle of mindfulness. Is that solving problems doesn't involve stopping them or fixing them or preventing them, or of course, suppressing them? It involves understanding them. And that just takes facing them, which is what mindfulness, the reason why mindfulness is so effective, is it doesn't try to fix or solve things, stop things. When you say to yourself, disliking, disliking, it's not going to stop the disliking, not immediately. That's not really the point. The point is to remind yourself that's just disliking, so that what it stops is any further reaction to the disliking. And if you're not anxious, anxious. When you, when you become skilled at that, you can stop the disliking because it never has a chance to arise. Instead of disliking it, you're, you're, you're understanding it, seeing it as
1: anxiety.
2: After a busy day at work, I am unmotivated to do anything but watching TV, relax, and sleep. Any tips on generating motivation for the practice so I find practicing preferable to these lazy activities?
0: Well, um, our at-home course is designed to, in a way to help with that motivation. Having a teacher is one of the best ways to be motivated. You have some kind of um accountability towards your teacher. I mean that kind of thing, a teacher or even just a meditation group that is supportive is quite helpful. But um what you have to understand basically is that this is a sign you are a um bad meditator. You are not a very wise individual and, and that's I, I say that as a sort of a in, in a harsh way but that doesn't make you very different from most people most ordinary people are this way but it's something we wouldn't normally attribute to ordinary people and we should because we're just not very very wise or good people and uh, we're, we're in a pitiful state where we would rather do things that are useless, meaningless, and harmful to our mental health than things that are beneficial, meaningful, and supportive of of good mental health, so you have to understand that you're in dire straits that can help you uh, put things in perspective and 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 get a
1: sense of urgency And um you know appreciate that you
0: probably need some help. In terms of going to a, a meditation center or or at least doing an at-home meditation course The eighth precept. you can also you can also sorry just a, you can also um, remind yourself of things like death and the inevitability of change and loss and that you you are woefully unprepared, most likely, without meditation practice for what the future may bring. These kind of things give you a sense of urgency and motivation. They can be helpful.
2: The eighth precept requires abstaining from luxurious seats and beds. What kind of cushion is best for sitting meditation, not to be too much or too little comfortable?
0: well the standard is uh, just a square cushion that fl- like a flat square that you place your whole body on cross legged um th-
1: there's no norm
0: uh involving the use of cushions that that support that put you, support your rear end or anything like that the use of cushions is not really standard in traditional Buddhist circles, and in, in fact, there was a one of the top meditation teachers in this tradition when I was in Thailand. Well, not one of the top, but one of the big ones. He was um, talking about how soft foreigners are when it comes to meditation, and how he went abroad and everyone was using these cushy these cushions to sit on. So the standard is really no cushion. It's just a square, foam mat, kind of covered in some fake leather or cloth or something. Or there's kapok ones as well, but they're just flat that you sit cross-legged on. Now, um, if you're in pain, using a, a more comfortable cushion to ease the pain, which can be very extreme for beginner meditators, can be an, a, a useful temporary measure, and, and that's not luxury, right? When you're in pain, uh, ameliorating the pain, like reducing it, making it manageable, is not is not uh, luxurious or uh, ostentatious or something. But um, you should understand that that's temporary, and and you shouldn't be looking for comfort or ease or avoiding pain. You should be appreciating the value of facing and being mindful of pain when it does arise and just try and mitigate it to the point that you are able to bear with it and to be mindful of it so it doesn't go to an extreme now whether that um, where, where where it becomes luxurious i mean i think there is something in there that that's when it starts to become luxurious um when it when it becomes uh, a means of avoiding pain or a means of avoiding discomfort, a means of feeling, probably more leaning on the side of feeling pleasurable sensations of softness and comfort and ease, relaxation, that sort
1: of thing. What is citta nimitta and what role does it have in our practice? I don't really know what that word is referring to offhand. Citta nimitta. Well, nimitta are signs.
0: They are used. I can't remember what Chitta Nimita means, actually. It's just a term, then. I don't quite know what it's referring to offhand. But nimitta are signs. They can be um, like when you, when you see an image, there's a sign of what it is, like a um, quality to it. Like if you see a human being, there's a sign of a woman that hints that it's female, or a sign of a man that hints that it's male. That sort of thing is called a nimitta. Um, nimitta are also um, the object of samatha practice. When you close your eyes and you see a bright light, that's called a nimitta. But I think citta nimitta is something particular. Anyway, I mean this is just theoretical. It's not really you're not asking me a question about your own practice. Um, maybe phrase it in terms of, I have this issue and uh, it's disturbing my practice. How do I deal with it? This is a little more theoretical. You could just look it up, probably.
2: How important is it to avoid entertainment altogether when practicing meditation as a way to end suffering?
1: pretty important if you
0: wish to I mean ending suffering is a pretty high goal that means becoming an arahant and entertainment is going to be out the window if you're really intent upon that as a goal
1: Um, so
0: yeah it's just how serious you are about achieving that goal Entertainment's just going to get in your way and it Entertainment involves the the cultivation of unwholesome states of attachment, greed, complacency, and so on. And that's going to really hamper your ability to do the incredible work involved in
1: attaining freedom from suffering. Is it recommended to
2: do intensive meditation days when I first start the course? I want to do this once a week when I'm off from work.
0: Well, it's so I will say it's probably not recommended simply because it's hard for most people to, to get to the point where they can do that. That would be the only reason, but that's not really what you're asking. Would I recommend for someone in your position? Who is thinking about doing it? I think the answer is yes. I would recommend it. So, I mean, I guess the answer is yes, but just want to say that it's not really expected, and it can be hard for a lot of people to do that. But certainly, there's not really an upper limit to how many hours of practice you can do. The only caution that some people might say, or I might even say, is um, if you're pushing yourself, you know, where you don't really want to do it, and you just... Are greedy for quicker results or something and you're not really being mindful you can get into bad habits if you just push yourself really hard without any quality so in some ways it's better to work yourself up work your way up to more intensive practice but there's no harm in it it's always a good thing i mean the thing about mindfulness is it's a lot less dangerous than some types of meditation that can get very cerebral or conceptual and can get you lost in imagination and so on mindfulness is very grounded in reality so the worst it'll do is is make you want to stop because uh, it's hard and we we don't like facing the ordinary aspects of existence but uh, doing more of it is just going to help you to train and see cl- more clearly and gain a greater depth of understanding about reality
2: I feel like my defilements are endless. I see my perspective being influenced by the practice, and it makes me let go in the moment. But there are always more that arise and intoxicate me.
0: Any advice? Well, there's something good about that realization. When you see that they're endless, they're not under your control, that's a part of the path to freedom from them. It's um, it's not really enough because it's probably pretty intellectual still on reflection right you reflect and think oh boy they they keep coming back what you really need is to observe them mindfully moment by moment so that you really get a deeper sense that they are incessant and unmanageable and unwieldy and harmful and unpleasant and that's a hard thing to do but it's the uh, what's really going to bring fruit you have to get away from the idea of, of looking for them to go away or waiting for them to go away or wanting or wishing for them to go away. The disappointment that they aren't going away, that they aren't ending and that sort of thing. You have to move away from that. Your your outlook should always be on just trying to see clearly what's there. Pachupananchayodhammantatatatavipasati See clearly whatever arises in the present moment. That's it. Don't worry about the future. Let go of the past. You see, this is what you're talking about is tied up in the past and the future. How it has been, and they just, they they've they, they came back, they came before, they're coming again, they will come again in the future. You have to get away from that. Just try and see them clearly. Don't worry about whether they're going to come more and be endless. Because that attitude changes your perspective. It It releases you from a lot of your reactions, like a lot of your defilements, as you change that perspective and you just start to try and see things as they are. Still, it takes work, and the best way to do it is intensively. If you do our at-home course, come and do an intensive course, or find another place to do a course like this, it's really the best way to get a foot in the door.
1: I stopped
2: meditating. Is it okay not to meditate? I tried to be mindful throughout the day
0: it's okay you're just going to get old sick and die and be reborn again and do all of this all over again if you know that, that the, the issue with that is um, well i guess suppose there isn't really an issue with that it's um it's a cause for a lot of suffering is the real issue but you know this is this is endless mindfulness is about freedom we have this unique opportunity to free ourselves from what we're constantly moaning and complaining about, and and trying to chase after, and forget about, and run away from. You know, if you look back on your life, most people can say that they've been through a lot of trouble for not much benefit. So they're just going to get old, sick, and die. Mindfulness is the doorway to something new and different and you're not going to get far without doing any formal meditation so unless you don't care about that and are just going to continue to come be born old sick and die ad infinitum
1: ad infinitum you probably probably want to think about Doing at least a little bit of formal practice. Try and get a little bit a little bit of progress on the path.
2: How should I note Dhammas as one of the four foundations of mindfulness? If I see the four noble truths or impermanence, should I note that specifically? And if so, how?
0: Right, well, impermanence isn't really one of the dhammas per se. It's the result of practicing them. Uh, the dhammas are really you're best focusing on the five hindrances and the six senses. Those are the most obvious ones. See, the dhammas are kind of like teachings. So they're giving you sort of a framework that of the important things that are going to be involved in the practice. But for practical purposes, really just stick with the five hindrances and the the six senses. Four Noble Truths are more what's going to come of the practice
1: uh, in later stages. How do I enroll
2: for the home meditation program you mentioned? Also, how can I practice to attain stream entry? How many hours daily?
0: So the at-home meditation course, you have to practice at least an hour a day. The goal by the end of the course is to get up to two hours. You can follow the link at the bottom of the page. And, uh, well, even just the main site, sirimangalo.org, there's a link to courses. And it should give you all the information. But if you go to the link at the bottom of the page, it gives you the booklet, which is where you should start. You should read about how we practice. That really is... um, An introduction to the practice that will lead to stream entry. Practice of mindfulness leads all the way up to being an arahant. So that's the way. There's no question. There's no answer to the question of how many hours a day. It's going to depend on you and where you're at. It's not so much the hours a day as it is the moments. So you'll see that as you start to learn about the practice taught in the booklet. But if you really want to make progress, then the at-home course is not the end your best to think about actually doing an intensive course. You can come to our center here in Canada or find another place like this and do intensive practice, preferably after you've done the at-home course, which takes a few months. Or if you've already done meditation in another tradition or something, if you feel ready to do intensive practice, you can come and do the intensive course right away. It's just harder if you are not very familiar with this practice just takes longer. It will take less intensive time
1: if you do the Atom course first. I'm nervous to
2: see a specific person from my past in public. I'm afraid they may be mean or rude. And in meditation, I notice these anxieties arise, but they don't seem
0: to lessen. Do you have any advice? Yeah, again, don't, don't look to them to lessen. Seeing that they don't lessen is part of the solution. It's part of what makes them ironically lessen when you start to see that they don't lessen, that you're not in charge. So seeing them as foreign, as alien, as as invading your mind, as opposed to, I'm anxious or, or no, I'm nervous, or that sort of thing, just stay with them. It takes time, It's there's no quick solution, but you have to change your attitude to not try and make them go away, be resolved. And patient with them to just see them. That's a much better attitude that will change because you think about how that attitude applies to when you see specific people, right? Instead of trying to get over the, you know, get through the situation or worrying about the situation, you can apply the same attitude that you apply in meditation of just letting things come and learning to rather than try and make them go away or try and fix or try and solve or try and do the right thing. You just try and be with them, you, that attitude can be applied to, for example, when you're meeting a specific person in public. So it's about attitude, that mindful attitude of not trying to fix things ends up fixing all your problems or well it stops things from being problems is really the point. They're no longer problems, they're just experiences, and you start to appreciate how the real problem was your inability to be objective, your reactions, of course.
2: I notice that distraction keeps coming up in meditation. Do I just note this? Also, is eating once a day beneficial to the practice?
0: Yes, you just note the distraction. Again, keeps coming up. This is a part of the wisdom that you're gaining. It's great, great observation. It's a good thing to see that they keep coming up they're not the problem in fact the the thoughts are not the problem the problem is the excitement over them that leads to distraction you get interested in them you you respond to them when you start to see that they keep coming up this is this this um statement this phrase phrasing is a sign that the meditator is beginning to get tired of it so keep on that path of seeing them coming up again and again and you'll get tired of them once you start to get tired of them you just lose all interest in them oh the thought comes up again you don't even pay attention to it. it's just a thought and you let it go It's just say thinking and it's gone why because you've seen it so many times you're just not interested there's nothing it could provide for you that would interest you that would excite you that would hook you in because you've seen it all you've seen it again and again to the extent that you just know Without a doubt, that there's nothing in it, no value, no benefit. That's really what happens in mindfulness. Atanibindati duke, one becomes uh, tired or bored or uh, uh, fed up. Nibindati uh, duke, in regards to things that are uh, suffering. Just get tired of uh, the suffering of it all this is the path of purification or the path of purity
1: oh eating once a
0: day Um, yeah mo- moderately I mean if you're doing intensive practice where you're just meditating all day it's quite beneficial but then you're not doing anything very strenuous otherwise and your mind is also pretty freed from a lot of the stresses of daily life and defilements. So uh, in daily life, it's maybe not so highly recommended, but some people do it, especially long-term meditators. Monks do it, of course.
2: I have heard that in mindfulness, one should be aware of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings, but you don't seem to teach this. Why?
1: what i don't know if
0: you've read our booklet but it's 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 hopefully pretty pretty prominently highlighted in our booklet you absolutely should be aware of pleasant unpleasant and neutral feelings if i don't mention it here it's because no one asked a question about it but now that you have i can say emphatically that that's a huge part it's the second of the four satipatthanas the four satipatthana and in fact so here's what i will say when someone comes to our meditation center for the first time the first thing that we the very first thing that we teach them before we even show them how to meditate is the four satipatthana the first is the body so we say well when we show you how to meditate we'll explain we'll show you how to pay attention to the foot when you walk and the stomach when you sit and that's body that's the first satipatthana the first foundation of mindfulness the second foundation of mindfulness is feelings and there are three types of feelings pleasant unpleasant and neutral or pleasant painful and neutral and so if you feel pain you should say to yourself pain pain if you feel happy say happy happy if you feel calm say calm calm so it's like the second thing out of everything that I teach so sorry the first thing before the four foundations is actually vipassana we explain what vipassana means so vipassana means seeing clearly the three characteristics and then then it's the four foundations of mindfulness so quite prominent The third satipatthana is citta, so when you're thinking, say thinking. The fourth satipatthana is the dhammas, so we start just with the five hindrances, liking, disliking, drowsiness, distraction, and doubt. So I'm not sure where you got the idea that I don't teach, but it's understandable if you've only heard this or that teaching. I mean, it's not like in all my talks I'm going to mention the three vedana, but absolutely it's one of the core things that we teach everybody it's one of the core things that i teach so i would be i want to dispel this myth before it gets started that is absolutely not true um i mean i can appreciate that it may seem that way from your perspective but it's absolutely not true that i do not teach that i do absolutely and very prominently teach that
2: Often I have a situation where a body sensation is followed by a hearing and then a thinking about what to note. What is the best way to behave when this seems to happen at the same time?
0: Whatever's whatever's most prominent. There's no magic formula where you have to pick the right thing or one thing is going to be better than another. One of the key components of mindfulness is realizing that Nothing is special. None of these things that you mention are special. So not 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 a one of them is going to be more important. You could argue that the hindrances are more important. So if if there's a worry or a disliking or a liking or anything like that, those are gonna be a little bit those are gonna probably take precedence. So you should probably note them first. But it's not it's not always gonna be like that. I mean it's not it's not imperative that you um even in that case pick the hindrances. Just pick whatever's most prominent. It's more about the attitude and the perspective. Yeah, yeah, this is this is what's happening right now in this moment. Keeps you present, keeps you objective, keeps you um, observant.
2: And I realize that only meditation matters. I lose a lot of time learning about history, politics, and economics. Should I let go of trying to understand the world we live in, or is it a duty as a human?
0: I I wouldn't worry too much about that in the the grand scheme of things, unless you're uh, a monk, uh, or if you're off in the forest doing, or at a meditation center doing a meditation course, or something like that. But. should you let go um, just just sort of as a long-term goal you should appreciate that eventually you will let go and that holding on to the world we live in is going to gradually become a stronger and stronger hindrance as you go deeper in the practice but for someone just starting off it's much more important and much more valuable to observe rather than try to change or let go of anything. You more let go of these things uh, at the right time and through 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 your practice and through seeing how they conflict with the practice rather than again, as with everything rather than trying to fix or change or let go of or stop, just try to understand so how do you realize that only meditation matters is by seeing how the other things don't matter by observing them paying attention to them when you do learn about history, politics, and economics, etc., anything like that. Learn about what this, the experience of that is. What is the experience of that kind of learning? Notice how you are attached, how your desire arises, and pay attention to it, note it, and take it as an object of mindfulness. And over time, you'll start to see how pointless it is. With 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 work, I mean... It's not just something that comes naturally. You have to put in the work and be vigilant and really diligent in in applying mindfulness to your daily life and through training and formal practice. You'll
1: start to see how those things are useless and unbeneficial.
2: During the six-step walking meditation, is it correct to note lifting heel Only when the heel is moving? Should I disregard the other movement
0: of the leg before the heel actually starts moving? Yeah, focus on the movement of the foot. When the foot starts, when the heel
1: starts to lift.
2: Would you say that sensual pleasure is the most difficult thing on the path? Or is this only at the beginning? Is temptation something we should stay away from? For example, if I know food will tempt me to sensual pleasure, should I avoid working in a restaurant?
0: So even with sensual pleasure, it's not something you really have to worry about. You put things in perspective. The the, the worst things are breaking the five precepts. So don't do drugs and alcohol. If you can stop that, you're already better than than the majority of ordinary human beings. Don't kill even animals or insects. Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie. If you can keep the five precepts, you're already doing great. You've got a great start. Do some meditation every day if you can, formal meditation, try and be mindful. That's going to be far more valuable than trying to avoid things that are um, conducive to sensual pleasure. Or even avoiding sensual sensual pleasure in general, you're much better served by being mindful of the sensual pleasure, being mindful of the desire, being mindful of the pleasure, being mindful of the experiences that lead to the pleasure and lead to the desire, the sights and the sounds and the feelings and so on, the tastes. Um, and if you want to go further then you start to think about doing intensive meditation practice. So so we would recommend in our tradition or in our, in our community, in our organization, that you do the at-home course first. And then if you're interested in going further, you can think about doing the intensive course at our center where you would keep the eight precepts, and there you would give up sensual pleasures. You would give up eating except in the morning. You would give up uh, any kind of entertainment or beautification, that sort of thing.
2: Buddhism says that if we pursue a desire, we are more likely to do it again in the future. But don't we sometimes get tired of it after having done it a
1: lot?
0: Yes and no. I mean, I think the way ordinary people get tired of it is they look for something else. They don't get tired of the desire, they get tired of the things that can no longer provide them with the pleasure that they crave. But uh, addiction doesn't work that way. You don't get tired of the of 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 the the pleasure. You just get tired of the things. And look for this is why we always need something new and more. This is why addicts become worse and worse and worse if they the more they indulge. It doesn't it isn't stable. It isn't static. That's uh, how addiction works. So how how you really get tired of desires is by mindfulness. Well, as with everything else, you start to see that it's incessant, it's unmanageable, it's uh, unsatisfying. If you see it clearly, you just kind of get bored of it, tired of it. But that's only through mindfulness. Without, without that, there's not really a... I mean, you can look at how addiction works in the world you don't hear people saying oh i was an addict but then i just kind of got bored of it that's not really how it works there is um some there are cases in my with mild addictions where people's goodness and highness of mind their wisdom that they've accumulated because humans have some different differing levels of wisdom Uh, Helps them to see that, you know, this is pointless, this is harmful to my life. And they can't, people do give up addictions without practicing mindfulness, of course. It usually comes from seeing something, gaining some kind of appreciation of the negative side of it. It's not nearly as effective as mindfulness, not nearly, but it does happen when, when it's extreme suffering or the suffering is disproportionate to the pleasure you start to see. Through a highness of mind through some some wisdom that you have naturally occurring.
2: I'm about to start on a study slash career path which will keep me busy for the next ten years. How can I be mindful throughout over such a long time? I fear for the person I might become running after money.
0: Well, you can start by noting the fear and the desire for money, that sort of thing. But uh, mindfulness isn't a 10-year thing. Mindfulness is a moment thing. You have you have moments now where you could be mindful. That's all you should be concerned with. Are you mindful in this moment now? That's the only thing you have to worry about. So a 10-year career will put some damper on your mindfulness practice, but it uh, it shouldn't be your concern from a spiritual perspective. Your concern should be now, the present moment, uh, finding finding time to do formal practice and just time to stay mindful. Mindfulness occurs in a moment. It, it doesn't it isn't something you do throughout anything. It's something you do now, or you don't do it. It's either now or
1: never.
2: How long in advance do I normally need to book an intensive course at the center if I would like to undertake a course next summer? Is it possible to stay for longer, 3 and 4 weeks to
0: practice? Our general limit is a month, I think, just so that uh, we don't overbook. Um but you know we're we're kind of a new center here. We've we've just started a new center. We're still doing a lot of the 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 the, the the preliminary upgrades and so on. Like we've we've got a fully functioning center, but there's a lot of things that still need to be sort of uh, improved, uh, exterior stuff. And we've just finally solved a water problem, a a flooding problem. So things like that, um, we're ready, but we don't have a lot of meditators. So it's not really a backlog at this point. That being said, you can look on our website. I think there's even a calendar. It tells you when we're full. All the information's on our website if you're interested. The best thing to do, if it's next summer, the best thing to do is the at-home course if you haven't done it yet. If you've got the time before next summer, do that first. If you've already done that, then yeah, just check out the website. It should give you information on how to apply, and we don't have anyone for next summer, I'm sure, not yet. It's usually, usually at most going to be a couple of months in advance, most. The moment it's not that we're, as I said, pretty new
1: Do you think
2: it's possible for someone involved in everyday life to overcome suffering, or is more time needed for meditation
0: But the, it's not a question you can answer because it depends on the person, so there's, there's nothing I can really say about that. I mean, I guess the answer is yes, it is possible for someone. Is it possible for everyone? No, it's not possible for everyone. But surely someone. I mean, the Buddha did it and all of his disciples did it. And many people throughout history have done it. Oh, but you say involved in everyday life, right? So not the Buddha or most of his disciples. But, um, right, involved in everyday life, there were people. Who at least became a Sotapanna. Right, so I seem to have mis kind of misunderstood the question. Um, even those people you know, very special people don't need to take much time out for meditation, but for most people you're going to have to take some time out of of da- daily life. And for most people it's not possible if you never take time out to do intensive practice. You're not really gonna get very far, not in the in, in not in this life, if you just do basic practice, or once-a-day, twice-a-day practice.
2: I found myself having a lot of compassion, but have very limited wisdom to control my thoughts and emotions. How can I make it better?
0: Well, if you have been listening, you might get a sense that trying to control your thoughts and emotions is a sign of limited wisdom so you've got it wrong there it's not that more wisdom would allow you to control your thoughts and emotions it's that more wisdom would allow you to see that you have no control over your thoughts or emotions in fact it may be that you're actually gaining some wisdom which you don't realize and that is to see that you don't have the control over thoughts and emotions that you thought you did. The problem is you probably think you should have control. It sounds like you think you have, should have control over them, which which is a big problem. So mindfulness shows you that's not true or helpful or, or a really good perspective. The better perspective is to see that they are uncontrollable and to learn to become dispassionate towards them, to, to free yourself from your attachment to them, your worry about them compassion is a bit of a a bit of a a red herring it can be tied up with ego you think you have this compassion so that's a a, that's an ego thing i mean it's not egotistical but it's a self thing i am compassionate it can be tied up with conceit for sure thinking that's a good thing about yourself and then the limited wisdom is is also conceit but on the other end of the scale conceit is, is also a term you, that we use for low self-esteem when you compare yourself as being uh, inferior or substandard. So both sides are conceit and they're tied up with ego and self and clinging and identifying and all of that. So yeah, don't don't pay too much attention to the compassion. It's a valuable practice to be compassionate, but it's not something you are or you have something that arises through practice and it's not really core to the to the path it's just supportive of the path it's a good sign for sure but uh, if you've read our booklet you might start there and consider learning about how to be mindful rather
1: than trying to control
2: how do you note progress on the path is it more during meditation or outside meditation, or both? Many other Buddhists would consider various jhana states as a stepwise approach.
0: Well, jhana states, I mean, samatha jhana states, aren't really a great sign of progress. Uh, I mean, uh, they, there is some good, good...
1: Um, what's the word? I mean, you, you, you think of it
0: some, something of a good tool to have in your in your your but it's just a tool The the jhanas are just a tool so you've great you've got you've cultivated a good tool it's not a sign that you've actually done something you haven't done anything with a tool perhaps real progress comes from reduction of greed anger and delusion probably best seen from outside of the practice but can be seen in the practice as well as you notice um, yeah honestly as well inside the practice for sure as you notice that you're no longer greedy the way you were, angry in the way you were, deluded in the way you were. That's really it. It's quite simple. You have less greed, anger, and delusion or not. A little bit hard to see because, I mean, sorry, a little bit hard to to be sure because they can also disappear temporarily and um, give you a false sense of security, especially if you're practicing the samatha jhanas because they'll they'll disappear uh through this the strength of concentration but that's not the same as uh, as for wisdom so you can't you can't easily know where you're at that being said um especially if you're practicing mindfulness you have less delusion which is something that it's hard to really come to terms with through just samatha practice whereas it might suppress the greed and the anger it's not really going to suppress the delusion not not effectively it's it's sometimes easy to tell if someone's focused very much on samatha practice cuz they're still quite deluded and there's a sense that they're not there isn't a great clarity of mind Um, So if you're practicing mindfulness meditation, you do have a pretty good perspective on what what work you've still got left to do and what work you've done and the the progress you've made. But that's how it should be measured, through greed, anger, and delusion. Those three things.
1: Thank you, Bhante. We've crossed
0: the hour and you've answered every question we're prepared to ask today. Great. Well, thank you all for your questions. Thank you, Chris, Jim, and whoever else is helping for your help. Have a good week, everyone. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Sadhu. Sadhu.